you've opened in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We'll go before the Lord in prayer and ask Him to illumine this text. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we delight to know that Your Word is true, that it is infallible, that it is inerrant, that it not only leads us in the way of truth, but it is the truth. It is the reflection of what our great God, who is the foundation of truth, has said to His people, that we might hear, that we might be changed, and that we might believe. Lord, we pray that You would indeed this morning use this Word, this powerful Word, to confirm, to convince, to draw people to Yourself as You have done in the past. Do so this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me as we read from God's Word. I'm going to begin back up a little bit at verse 31 and then read through verse 2, but we're going to look specifically at verse 1 today and then verse 2 next week. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Here's something I want us to begin with, just an illustration, an understanding of how things operate in this life. Children imitate to some degree their parents. They always have and they always will. And here's the problem for some of us. If we could only get them to imitate all the good things and leave out all the bad things, we'd be in great shape. The problem is is that oftentimes at that key moment when you're hoping that your child will act like the trick pony and do the trick, when company's over, guests are over, when you're going to visit that, that one couple who looks rather frowningly at your children... Um, they tend to bring out that very true reality that they are sinners in need of saving grace. Now, what I want us to understand, though, as we talk about this, is that children do imitate their parents, and that's very important. Some people make more of that than they ought to, as I just said, because they want to say that if a child's bad, that inherently means their parents are bad. Well, that's not necessarily true. It could be. It's not always true. We need to recognize that children have their own personalities, they have their own character, and they have their own sin issues that they have to deal with. And part of parenting them is helping them to work through those things. Our danger is if we think that somehow our children aren't reflecting some of our shortcomings. Our danger is also if we blame ourselves for all our children's shortcomings. And really bad when we blame one another for, one, for our children's shortcomings. We need to be encouraging one another because it is hard in this world to parent children. We need to help one another and aid one another in that task. All that said, I want us to understand that children are hardwired to observe and do. 
They are. And so there is a characteristic that Paul is picking up in this passage that we don't want to ignore. Children who are raised in homes, ones that generally have parents who lay out a wise and biblical understanding of life, generally tend to begin to walk in that way. But the real key there is not just that they've been laid out before them what that life looks like. What's really happened is that they've grown up in a home where they were deeply loved without prejudice, without any sense of your performance is what makes you tolerable in this house. Men and women, let's be honest. That is a hard task for those of us that have raised children to deal with children in a way which says, we love you without prejudice. We love you even when you do really dumb, even despicable things. We love you. Let it go? No. Act like it doesn't exist? Of course not. That's where discipline comes in. But that's part of growing up in a loving home, is it not? A loving home is not parents who are indifferent to their child's coming up to danger. Sin is danger. Sin leads to death. John Owen is right when he says in his book on temptation, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So just as surely as we would tell a child, don't go into the street, and if you do, I'm going to spank that little honey. Some lessons we can allow them to learn on their own. You know, my children, I can still remember about a year old, and they would walk up to the, the stove after they touched it the one time that usually cures them. Hot, 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 and then they move away from it. There are some lessons we can let our children learn themselves, and they usually figure it out and say, you know, probably not going to touch that hot stove again. But there are some things that we have to be diligent to instruct our children, to lead our children in the wise way, to lead them in the old paths. And when we do, when children are raised in that kind of home where they are loved and they are led in wise and prudent ways, as they grow up, knowing they're loved and watching the wisdom of godly parents lived out in their own life as they choose to follow what their parents have said, what we see is they begin to exalt their parents. Now, many of you in this room are not old enough yet to have gotten to this place. You're probably, some of you in your mid-20s, getting close to 30, you're probably starting to wake up to the reality that your parents really aren't as dumb as you thought they were. It is amazing as we get older how much our parents' IQ goes up. I'm about at the place where I can honestly say at 41, I look at my parents and go, you guys were brilliant. As I sit with a 9-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 13-year-old, my parents were brilliant. Not only that, Jane's mom was a genius. <laughs> and all I'm saying to you is, is that as you grow, what happens is, is that the biblical principle of a Woman who loves her children and raises them, what does the scriptures tell us? It says, her children will rise up and call her blessed. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. What I want you to see is the wisdom that Paul is bringing into this text. Scriptural wisdom. When he says, be imitators, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. 
you're starting to see the formula I'm laying out. This isn't a brand new formula. This is an old formula which is true in the Scriptures. It is that normally in God's economy, as we seek to be faithful lovers of Him and lovers of our children, hopefully they will walk in His ways. It is no less with God as our Heavenly Father. See, the amazing thing of the gospel that we just heard there at the end of chapter 4 was this. As God in Christ forgave you, so live, so walk, so imitate. That's really the substance of what Paul is getting at. You see who God is? Imitate Him. Just like a child follows their dad or mom around, imitating them, mimicking them, vacuuming and dusting, and doing all the things that we see children do externally and internally. That's the idea that's being got here. That's what's preparing them for a walk and a life in the Lord. And indeed, that's what Paul is saying to us this morning. A little phrase here, for those of you that are John Piper fans, you'll say, you just wholesale stole his idea. That's fine. I've, I've modified it a little bit for this text. But here's what I want you to hear. God is most fully exalted by us when we are most truly aware of His love for us. You hear what I'm saying to you? God is most fully exalted by us when we are most truly aware of His love for us. In other words, what I'm trying to say is God is exalted by His people when they bask in His love for them when they are keenly aware of it, when they savor it, when they delight in it. Let's look and then see how we might see this in this text this morning. The first thing, I have really, I have really profound points. You're going to love them. The first point is therefore. I spent a long time thinking that one up. I want us to look here at the therefore. There's a reason why it's here and we want to see it. In some ways, what I think Paul is saying to us and we need to see in light of this verse is not only the preceding verses which I read to us, that, that clearly he has in mind. Clearly, verse 32 is loud and clear, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes in what he wants to say. But I think it's also the whole of what he has had to say in Ephesians because, in fact, what he's saying right here really rests on the whole thing. It rests on the whole reality. If you go back to chapter 1, just to remind yourself of what Paul has been saying here. Look at what he says. He says, be imitators of God. And remember what he said to us. Back in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, there's that word, love, He predestined us for adoption as sons, so that we'd be His children through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. And here's the kicker. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Now look at all that phraseology in chapter 1 that's coming back up in chapter 5, verse 1. Beloved. Look at what God's done for you and imitate that. Therefore, remember these things. For those of you here last week, that's that whole thing that I was trying to get you to start to get into, that rhythm of redemption. What we're hearing here is God acts, He demonstrates, He shows forth His greatness, His glory, and His covenant mercy 
and his people are enabled by the gospel to respond. They're able to come and say, I really am worse than I thought I was. They're really able to come and say, and God is better than I thought he was. And there is a cycle of reality that goes on. The other place that I want us to consider is Romans 9, that oft-neglected passage of Scripture and neglected for some reasons that it says some hard things. But one of the things it says there is this, that God has actually saved people because that brings Him glory. He's actually saved people to, in fact, bring Him glory. That is the reality. We were made from the very beginning. Adam and Eve's purpose was to focus a life on exalting God and extending His glory throughout the earth. That was their purpose. That was the reason why they existed. You want a purpose-driven life? There's the key. The purpose of your life is to bring glory to God. And the best place for you to figure that out is to read His Word and see what He's calling you to. And calling you away from. And the fact that He doesn't just call you. He enables you. And we need to believe that. That the gospel is not just a nice word which says, See the good example that Jesus was? Now be like Jesus. It actually is transforming and says, Not only have we called you to be like Jesus, But we're at work in you to make you like Jesus. And sometimes being made like Jesus, men and women, hurts like crazy. And many of you in this room that are growing Christians know exactly what I'm saying. Sometimes being conformed into the image of Christ is painful stuff. Because you have to look at who you really are. And you have to come to a place where you realize, wow, God is determined to make me like Christ whether I like it or not. And he's determined to do it his way, not my way. And the beauty of it is, is even when I'm not liking it, part of what he's conforming me to is to be like Christ and love it. Not your will, not my will be done, but your will be done. I delight to do my Father's will. These are things that the therefore is drawing us to. We were made to exalt. And we were redeemed to exalt. God didn't come to save us and then say, you know, now go out there and frolic in the pasture. No, go out there and glorify me, which may include every once in a while frolicking in the pasture. As long as frolicking is confined to what Scripture says frolicking is and not to our own devices. The second point I want us to look at then, and we're jumping to the end of this passage, is beloved. God loved us while we were enemies. I want you to think about that. I want you to get that wrapped around you. God loved us while we were enemies. We were God-haters, and God said, but I love you. Why? I mean, that's the great question, isn't it, of Scripture? Why does God love wicked human beings? Because He loves us. That's the answer. Because He loves us. Because He wants to. Not because we do anything, because we can't do anything. And indeed, we need to remember that. We need to be reminded of the fact that Paul has already told us that. Remember back to verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, last time I checked, dead means dead. 
Dead people don't walk around. Dead people don't work out their salvation. Dead people don't do things that are keeping with the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, dead people are dead. In which you, and he says, dead in your trespasses in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, we need to remember this, men and women. Apart from God in Christ, all we have to look forward to is wrath. We can never do anything to get free of this. It's the reality of it. He goes on to say this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us together alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what I want you to see then in this passage of God loved us while we were enemies is this, that God's love came to us when we wanted nothing to do with it. Do you hear that? God's love came to us when we wanted nothing to do with it. And this is why, men and women, some of our doctrines that we hold near and dear in the Reformed faith are not just doctrines we want to hold on to and say, well, this is the way it ought to be. It's rather to say, don't you understand that if you actually think that you could believe in Jesus apart from first Jesus loving you, that you have it all backwards? that you don't really deal squarely with how bad people really are, that you don't really deal with how really wicked sin is. There's a Puritan book, and ask Christopher Hall afterwards because he read it in college. I can't remember the author of it, but it's, I think it's called The Sinfulness of Sin. Just Sin is just bad. It's just nasty stuff. And we really don't believe that. We really don't have a firm understanding of really the crud that sin is and that we are the purveyors of it in this world. Chipmunks aren't running around sinning. We are. Do you understand that? We are. The reason why chipmunks have to deal with a bad world is not because of chipmunks or birds or little foxes. It's because of us. We're why they're messed up. So the next time you drive across a, a ground squirrel and think good riddance, understand that you know it's kind of that attitude that got us in this mess to begin with. This 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 hatred, and I'm not saying obviously you run it. Don't don't get too crazy about that. But I'm just saying to you, the reality is is that these things are not our problems. We're their problems. And what I want you to understand is the reason why we need to really fully appreciate that we cannot be saved apart from God's love and grace poured out to us is so that we would bask in the sunshine of how good He has been to us. Because as long as we stay in that notion of I can do something to make God like me or get myself okay with God, we are in a bad place. We are in a place of false hope and false religion. And it is a hopeless place. And it doesn't matter how nice you try to be or how good you try to be, you will end up the same place as Adolf Hitler, burning in hell. Now, I've said all that to you so that now I can say what I want you to hear in this passage. Do you hear what he says? Imitate God as beloved 
children. See, I want you to hear how bad things are so that when you hear that kind of phrase, as beloved children, you understand how amazing that statement is. Wicked haters of God have become beloved children. And so what we see here is, is that a phrase that in all the Gospels, and see, you ought to hear this every time. And some of my former students know this. I just have a big beef with all these translations that want to take out beloved and put in dear brothers. Oh, you're killing the theology of the Bible. Beloved, agapitas. That is the title of Jesus. And when you rip that out of the text and say, oh, it just, mean, it just came to mean dear brothers. Oh, that's just so weak. It's just so lame. It's so anemic. What we have here is basically the, the writers of the New Testament saying, what Christ was called by His heavenly Father, we now call you. Do you hear it? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now what are you hearing right here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1? As beloved children in whom He is well pleased... Do you hear it? Hateful despisers have been turned into beloved children in whom the Father is well pleased. And see, if we can really grab a hold of that truth, if we can really start to grab a hold of that, if our children can see us as adults exuding that in their midst, what kind of people might we and they be? And what kind of impact might we have in a watching world. Because how often do we sit and look at our circumstances and basically say to ourselves, I just don't know why God's doing this to me. I just don't know why this is happening. Well, another day of the same old turmoil, the same old problems, the same, oh, you're still here. I've had to wake up beside you again for the one gazillion time. Maybe God will be merciful and one of us will kick it soon. <laughs> And you laugh, but men and women, this is often the way we go through life. We are so down. And I'm not saying we ought to have some kind of exuberant, joyful, giddy kind of attitude towards life. I'm more saying that but we ought to have some deep, settled reality of life which says, He has been good to me all my days. Even when he brought Nathan the prophet to condemn me in my own court, David can say, He has been good to me all my days. Even when he allowed Absalom to rise up and run David out of the city, He has been good to me all my days. Because why? Because I'm a beloved child of God. What can Paul say? Torment, torture, Beatings, hated by others, condemned, without food. In 2 Corinthians, he comes so far as to say, we had come to a place where we despaired of life itself. In other words, what he's saying is we wanted to die. God, kill us. It is so bad. But then we remembered that it is in those moments that he delights to remind us that he is the Jesus who raises people from the dead. And we were like raised men from the dead. 
See, folks, what I'm saying to you is the hope of us as God's people is the fact that we are deeply loved by Him in such a profound way. And we don't really comprehend the depths of it. We don't really fully grasp how great it is. We operate in a sphere of belovedness. We operate in a reality of love. And it is that love which is supposed to exude out of us and draw us out into a watching world. And we celebrate it even when things aren't going well. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice, Paul says. Why? Because everything in life is so great? Because everything's just hunky-dory? No. It's because we have a settled reality that even when the bad things are happening, they are conforming me more and more into the one I love the most and the one in whom I recognize His love for me the most. That's why. That's why when the car breaks down, that's why when the child has colic for the umpteenth time and you think, will I ever get 20 minutes of sleep ever? That's why in all these different places which we experience in life, we need to be people who are convinced that God loves us no matter what. Employed, unemployed. Having a great day, having a sorry day. Have kids that make you absolutely praise God and think we've got the greatest kids in the world or you're having one of those days where you think uh, they are, Luther was right, they are devils. <laughs> and kids could look back the same thing. When your parents seemed to you like the greatest human beings that ever lived because they, you, they asked if you could go out for the first time and hang out with your friends because you're now 13 and that's really cool. Or the parents who the next day say, okay, we're going to spend the day cleaning up the house. On both those days, as Olivia can attest to, the point is, is that Jesus still loves her. And the reality of her belovedness enables her to press forward, no matter what the circumstances are. It enables us to press forward, no matter what the circumstances are, because we are beloved. The last thing, or my last point then, is imitate. I saved the last portion right in the middle because I really wanted you to grasp both ends. And here's the point of imitate. You all have probably heard this phrase. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Now, do you understand that hidden within this text is this reality? Why did God make us? Man's primary purpose or chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Do you hear it? Imitate. Imitate me. What is God most delighted in? Himself. What's He most delighted to do? At least now that man has fallen, save sinners. In fact, that's the context in which Paul is writing this. Therefore, because God has saved you in Christ, imitate God. How do you imitate God? By doing the things which bring Him glory. See, glory is what God is most after from us. It's why He made us, was to exalt Him, to give Him glory. It's also what God is most after in Himself. Because what else is there greater than God? How could God glory in anything other than Himself? I mean, it's a ridiculous idea. If He's the greatest thing there is, what else would there be to glory in except for Himself? 
And what else would there be for us to spend our life doing but to bring Him glory? Now, do you hear it? God has called us to imitate Him, to be people who are gracious, who are good, who are truthful, who are loving. That's who we're supposed to be. And do you hear Paul saying that to us? And this is the thing. We need to get the heart of God into our heads because what we would think is what's supposed to happen is is that all of this is surrounded by all these things we're not supposed to do. Let this be put away from you. Don't have anything to do with this. Don't operate this way. Don't do this. But notice what Paul keeps bringing back in the middle of it is is that what you need to understand in order to see that as a reality is that you are loved and that forgiveness... And gospel proclamation are at the heart of really experiencing that. And if you want to know why we as Christians don't experience it, there's the key. Because we don't really believe we're loved and we don't share our faith. And part of sharing our faith, men and women, is the ability to profoundly forgive people. I just want to give a brief illustration. I can still remember sitting in my aunt, who is not a professing believer, much to the grief of my heart. I still remember sitting in her den one time and her looking at me and saying, Dennis, you, you're just weird. Your, your parents have just weirded you out. And I said, why do you say that? She goes, because you're always trying to figure out what's wrong with you and how you can deal with that and, and, and what God is. Because you act like you actually matter in the grand scheme of things. I mean, you're so self-centered. Now, isn't that striking? Because... My attitude has always been this. I may, I'm sure I am self-centered. I don't doubt that. But I don't think the reason why I'm self-centered is because of that particular illustration that she was pointing out to me. What I've noticed in her was this inability to recognize how really bad we are. And therefore, that is part of her inability to really realize how good the gospel is. Why do you worry about all that stuff? Just go out there and, and be a decent person. Do decent things and live decently. And, you know, it'll all be okay. See, the reality is, is that I understand that if I'm left to just say, go out there and me figure out how to live decently, all I'm going to do is be indecent, be unhelpful, be uncaring. Because I am not a good barometer, nor am I a good measuring rod to what is good and right and true and holy and just. Only God is. And therefore, I desperately need Him to reveal Himself to me in a powerful way. And that is exactly what He's done in the Gospel. These verses draw us to see clearly God's justice, His holiness, His truth in light of His mercy, grace, and forgiveness. We must see that. If all we get caught up in is His justice and holiness and truth, what we end up doing is we end up becoming people who say, now this is the way it ought to be. And there is a point where we need to say, this is the way it ought to be. But the reality is, is that none of us can be that way. We fail. We stumble. We fall down. And so we have to see it in light of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And if we begin to see that in ourselves and we begin to imitate that towards one another, other people begin to see how great and awesome God is. Because it is not profound to be people who can stand around and judge other people. Every major religion in the world has that capability. 
Every cult has that capability. What's profound about Christianity is that in the midst of true judgment and true assessment, we find hope. We don't go to despair. Don't you see that? It's when you're fully exposed and said, you are found wanting in the dock. You have no ability in this court of law to stand. That that's what makes the profound reality of forgiven, justified, so profound. And that becomes the seedbed of right living. Because if that kind of God would do that for me, then my attitude is not to go out and say, Hey, bud, what about the hundred bucks? You know, I got forgiven that million, but what about the hundred you owe me? What's a hundred in the face of a million? You see, that's what's supposed to happen to us. We're supposed to be people who go, you know, of course you're sorry. Let's press forward. How can we help each other? How can we pray for each other? How can we encourage one another? How can we build each other up? How can we help one another run the race? This is the profound reality that Paul saw in chapter 3. And I want to end with this. I want you to listen to what he says. This prayer he prays. For this reason, verse 14 of chapter 3, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. See, there it is. I'm not making this stuff up. Rooted and grounded in love. May have strength. See, that is not something that's weak. That's something that's powerful. It changes. It transforms. It gives you strength both for your own life and to spread towards others, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In other words, it blows your mind. It's so big you can't get a hold of it. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And listen to what Paul now does. Imitation for what? Exaltation. Look at what happens when he fully gets wrapped around this. Watch what he does. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Imitate. Emulate. For the purpose of exalting. Our God. God is most fully exalted by us when we are most truly aware of His love for us. I pray that God will make us aware of that in this midst. Amen.